Phil Hay Show. Hello there and welcome to the show. The Phil Hay Show is sponsored by Bet365 and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need if you want to bet on sports. They're offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, anytime goal scorers with over 45 million members. It's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, place the score, number of goals and plenty more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. The Phil Hay Show brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. My name's Dan Moylan. Hello from The Athletic. Phil Hay. Hello. And The Square Ball. Michael Normanson. Hello. Great deal on right now if you want to get involved with The Athletic. Uh, the chance for you to try out The Athletic for just £1 a month. Enjoy all Phil's writing on Leeds, including the stuff we're going to be talking about today. The piece on Bielsa's new contract. Head to theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. We should be able to have a little bit of fun with this show today because full disclosure, for logistical reasons, we recorded the Liverpool bit before Bielsa's press conference. So in part two, we can see what exactly it was that we got wrong in the first bit. In part two, we will dive into the press conference and, and get an update on transfers too. And in part three, Phil is going to be answering some of your questions. So stay with us. Well, we have football back this week, proper football. So let's talk football in this bit then. First up, Phil. And well, before we get to Liverpool, let's talk uh, the friendly match against Paco de Ferreira. Did you watch that? Yes, tidy 3-1 win for Leeds. Um, against opposition, they were quite difficult to, to gauge. I mean, they are a, a top-flight Portuguese team, but it was a, a kind of late late arrival on the fixture list, that friendly. And it's, it's been a, a slightly tricky summer for Bielsa. Um, not in terms of the, the training schedule and everything else. They've, they've done a lot of work at Thorpe Arts. They've been back in for several weeks. It was all structured and, and it was all put together in a way that would give him plenty of time for multiple sessions of which they've done numerous 11v11s and, and all of that. But a, a couple of weeks ago, the, there was a plan in place for Leeds to play on the Saturday afternoon Fleetwood, um, one squad to go there, one squad to play, I think, Lincoln as well. And those were, were kiboshed by Bielsa, essentially because he, he was losing a lot of players to international duty. It's not that it's been completely sparse and completely empty, Thorpe Arch, but, you know, in this kind of window of, of seven to ten days, this kind of critical period um, where, where everything's building up to Anfield, he has been without a lot of his key faces. You know, Calvin Phillips obviously been away with, with England. Um, Rodrigo signed and then gone off with Spain. Robin Cox come in from Freiburg and then gone off with, with Germany. Liam Cooper away with Scotland as well. So it's been slightly complex. And, and, you know, you can kind of see that in the team that's, you know, as we speak, um, there's a, an EFL trophy game going on over at Accrington for what is, you know, nominally the, the under-23s. The team is so young that your eldest player is, I think, 17 years old this evening. And, and Charlie Allen, who's come in from Linfield, um, 16-year-old striker, is, is captain in the side. And, you know, that is because so many of the under-23s are so heavily involved at the moment and have been in this period and you know this needs to be a, a or needed to be a, a very sort of hard and and focused week of training in preparation for Liverpool away and and I think it's safe to assume that the squad and the players and, and Bielsa himself will be in in very good shape by the time they get to that point but I think of, of all the coaches in the Premier League he was probably the least impressed by the fact that there are Nations League games at the moment and there are umpteen players off abroad. 
Did you hear Jurgen Klopp getting his excuses in early for the inevitable defeat they're going to suffer at the weekend? Um, same, much the same, really, that it was all badly timed and because Leeds had fewer internationals than Liverpool, we were in a slightly better position than they were. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that wash, really, if, if they were to get turned over at, at Anfield on Saturday. Um, and the advantage of having lots of internationals who go away is that you have lots of internationals who come back and, and are available to be selected. I, I think if you go from front to back in Bielsa's team, and, and certainly the sides that played in the friendly games, there are a lot of faces missing, um, a lot of key faces who will play at the weekend. And it'll be a little while since he's been able to properly work with the, the 11 that he would pre- um, prefer to field at Anfield. So... I don't feel as if in, in this scenario, Leeds have, uh, because they're a newly promoted club and, and everything else, I don't feel as if they've got away with this or, or that they've kind of come off, you know, more, you know, come off lightly in comparison to other sides. There will undoubtedly be other teams who have more players away because that's the, the way it works when you start signing the, the best of the best. Um, but he has lost a fair few bills. So, you know, he, he's been without them for, for quite a stretch. And, and I think the kind of handicap in that sense is as big for Leeds as it is for Liverpool, regardless of the numbers. Let's talk Anfield then. What are you expecting from it, Phil? And first of all, are you going there and are you looking forward to it? I'm hoping so. I mean, we're, we're in a scenario with the Athletic where we're sometimes limited for passes in the Premier League and we do have um, a dedicated Liverpool writer, James Pearce. So it may be that we, we have to come to some arrangement over that. I would, I would certainly love to go. Um, and it's, it's such a big game to start with. I think with both teams, I'm really, really intrigued to see what sort of state they're in how ready they are for this and, and how able they are to get into their, you know, into the flow and, and into their rhythm. I definitely felt with Liverpool that there was a sense of them slowing up towards the end of the Premier League season. And I know that the Premier League was essentially done from about February, March onwards. But, you know, they lost to Atletico Madrid in the um, in the Champions League. They they did just seem to to show a little bit of fatigue, a bit of mental tiredness, I thought, that the sharpness wasn't quite there in, in the way that it had been. And I think it is notable over the summer that they haven't done a lot of business. I mean, they, they've been blown out of the water in financial terms by a club like Chelsea, who, who have just spent and spent. And I think that is something that is going to be questioned if they find that the, the position of strength that they're in starts to weaken next season. It doesn't feel as if they've especially built on the uh, on what was an absolute canter of a, of a title-winning season. Uh, but at the same time, they do have that position of strength and they are starting from there and they do have an exceptional squad that, that really does understand Klopp's methods in the way that the squad at Leeds understand Bielsa's. And equally for Leeds, I think for them, the, the crucial aspects are firstly that defensively, you know, with potentially Koch playing instead of Ben White, although it remains to be seen what Bielsa actually does with his team, that defensively they're as organised as they were under him because the goals conceded were, were absolutely absolutely fantastic tally last season. You know, they were defensively sound from start to finish, really. But also that they're able to play with a good amount of possession and that they're able to feel as free to attack as they were in the Championship. They need to be careful. I think there does need to be some awareness of, of what tends to happen to opposition teams at Anfield. But I think on the first day of the season, the first port of call is always to see who clicks and who clicks best. How do you think we will approach it in those terms? Do you think it's going to be a slightly more reserved performance or will we go full Bielsa on this? I don't think it'll be more reserved out of choice. I think he would like to go full Bielsa and he would like very much, I'm sure, the idea that Leeds will continue to dominate 60% of possession. They'll continue to dominate in terms of shots on goal and you know attacking positions in the final third. The big difference this time around is that you're moving into deeper water and you're in with much more talented sides, much more dangerous sides who will every bit try to do to you what you want to do to them. 
And there is absolutely no way, I don't think, in Jurgen Klopp's head, much as he doesn't, you know, fixate on position in the way that Guardiola does or the way that Bielsa does, there will be no way in his head that he'll be contemplating a situation where Leeds go to Anfield and are, are free to play and, and are free to dominate. I mean, he, he will want to do to Leeds what Liverpool did to Norwich um, on the opening day of, of last season, which was a very, very easy and, and routine win. What I hope with Leeds, the, the difference that I see in them to Norwich is the defensive organisation. You, you know that they've got it up front in terms of creativity, not always in terms of finishing, but they do now have Rodrigo um, and, you know, they, they should on that basis be a little bit sharper and, and you know, have, have that little bit of extra finesse in that area of the pitch. But I, I hope that if defensively they're sound, that they can make a proper game of this on Saturday and, and they can look like a competitive side against, you know, a, a team who should be give or take the best in the league again. If you had to put your money on it, what do you think the back four is going to be? If indeed it is a back four. Common sense says that you would play Ailing Koch, uh, Liam Cooper and probably Stuart Dallas on the basis of how well Stuart Dallas did at left back in the, the second half of last season and, and on the assumption that injuries and whatever else comes back from the international break um, doesn't mean that, that Dallas has to play elsewhere. I, I wouldn't in any way rule out the possibility that Bielsa will go with um, Luke Ayling as a right-sided centre-back purely on the basis that Koch is, up until the start of this week, has not had the chance to train properly with Leeds or to train at any great length. And and you know how much sway Bielsa puts on that. So potentially somebody like Alioski coming in on the left-hand side. I think if, if Koch does start, it, it's most likely to be Ayling, Koch, Cooper and Dallas. But, you know, you, you, as I say, you, you know how Bielsa thinks and you know how important he feels it is for players to be properly schooled in, in his methods and, and his tactics. So I don't think I don't think there's any guarantee at all that either Koch or um, Rodrigo will, will start at Anfield. It's a big call, isn't it? Parachuting some new signings in there. Um, I would expect... Personally, Rodrigo, like you say, to start on the bench. Cock is the is the interesting one, isn't it? Because it's that old question of imbalancing other parts of the team just to sort of adhere to Bielsa's system and and his requirements uh, for build ups. You think he's going to play then or not? I know you're not quite sure, but if you had to stick a fiver on it, well, I always get these things wrong, so I'm going to say yes, he will. There is a slight difference between him and um, Rodrigo, which is that obviously the Bundesliga got back to playing very early and, you know, the clubs over there have been extremely active and have, have trained and, and kept themselves fit. And, and I would guess, without knowing for sure, that if either player was coming in in, in better condition than the other, it would be likely to be cock. I mean, Rodrigo stopped training with Valencia once it got to the point where it was clear that they were going to sell him. And I think in the absence of, of any training at Leeds, you know, up until the start of this week, and in the absence of any recent games, it would be very, very unlike Bielsa. You know, in the way that he held off from Blood in Augustine to any great degree uh, and had him, you know, round the running track on the first day when he signed, it would be very unlike him to just launch Rodrigo in purely because Rodrigo is Spain's number nine. I know from the outside, it, it seems like a, a no-brainer. You sign a player like that with the experience that Rodrigo has and the, and the finesse and the talent that he has. And you think, well, he's he's got to play. He's a £27 million striker. But it's always the joke at Leeds when they go in for deals and, and they get players done, regardless of the cost and the value or the, the ego or the profile, they get treated in the same way. And, you know, in, in the case of Rodrigo, it wouldn't be that much of a surprise if it was October before you really saw him at, at full pelt. Leif Davis starting at centre-back then? Uh, yeah, that's most likely, yeah. Davis or, or Ailing now that I've said that. Do you think there's any danger of this team being overawed by the occasion? And by this team, I mean Leeds rather than Liverpool. And going to Anfield and being in the Premier League, you know, it's it's a big step up on, on where they were and many of them haven't played at that level before. It is. I, I don't think they'll be overawed by 
the occasion or necessarily by who they're playing. I think the the bigger risk is that there is actually a golfing quality there, and you do. I mean, you've seen Liverpool do it to plenty of teams when they when they get into the flow, and when they they click in the right areas, particularly with the two fullbacks, um, Alexander Arnold and and Robertson. But the you know the front three of Firmino, um, Salah, and Mane as well. If that works and works as well as it can, then then particularly at Anfield, it's almost impossible to stand up to, and it's almost impossible to resist. And and you know if you go through Liverpool's ludicrous record at home you'll find a lot of good teams in there who, who haven't been able to cope and, and haven't been able to um, to withstand the attacking pressure and, and to hold them back. So I don't think there's a risk that they turn up and freeze. I think there is inevitably a, a, a risk that they turn up and find that they're second best and potentially comfortably second best. But I think they need to see the game for what it is and they need to realise that away to Anfield, it's, you know, the, the odds are not long, are not particularly short on them actually getting anything from the game. But it, it I think, will satisfy them and, and will satisfy the club if they go and they feel like they've at least played a part in the game and they feel as if they've been relatively competitive and, and they've managed to to mix it with Liverpool. I think it would be a, a good start in that sense. And, and to avoid what happened to Norwich last season, which was to look like at both ends of the, the field, they were very short. I think potentially just because this is a bit of a free hit in terms of a game you, you don't expect to get anything from, but I don't feel maybe as worried as I should. I think if I compare it to the, the prospect of the Blackwell team coming up and going straight in against Mourinho's team that had just steamrolled the division and... Paul Butler against Robin and Drogba and against Gregan and that sort of a, a thing. It feels kind of less terrifying than than maybe it could have done. Yeah, I do feel that there's a, a lot more quality in this Leeds team. I think there's a lot more understanding of the system and the tactics. And I think tactically, you know, Bielsa is undoubtedly a completely different animal to somebody like Blackwell. And and if in all honesty, to to quite a few of the coaches who've come through Leeds in the period between relegation and promotion. I, I I go back as well to what I was saying about Liverpool. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what to expect of them. I, I don't know if they're going to be a bit off colour, if they're going to be a bit flat, or whether actually Klopp will be able to, to light the fuse from the off. As I say, they, they just they seem to wither a little bit towards the end of the last season. And I know they'd done what they needed to do and, and I know that the title was was long since secure and you know the points tally and the margin was was phenomenally big. And they were by a street the the best team in, in the division. But you know it's it's not to say that Leeds won't catch them on a day where where they're not quite at it. And I think in, in those in that situation then I think Leeds have a serious chance. I, I think they do. But anybody who is is thinking that um it's short odds that Leeds will get a good result over there just needs to look at the you know the form that Leeds Liverpool have had it at Anfield. It is absolutely remarkable. It does beg the question as to whether Liverpool can sustain the the levels of output that they have done for a third year on the bounces. And it's an awfully big ask to be that kind of optimal for so long. So you wonder if maybe the natural come down of having won the championship last season, whether there is a certain amount of, well, what now? I mean, I think it just, it feels like it's a big task. I mean, they may well be up to it. Let's not kid ourselves, but there is an opportunity there potentially for uh, but as you say, to catch them just on the right day. Well, you saw it with Manchester City. I mean, there was a period uh, with Guardiola where you wondered how anybody was ever going to catch them again because they seemed to be superior on every level and compared to even some of the teams at the, the top end of the Premier League, the gap seemed to be too big to close in, in any any short period of time. But then Liverpool signed Alisson, they got um, Van Dijk, suddenly became a, a totally different side at the back and, and fixed two of the positions that they seriously needed to fix. 
and and you got into a season last season where it, it felt as if it, it just wouldn't work for Guardiola. It just wouldn't come together. There were too many problems, particularly defensively, and he no longer had the attacking players to dig him out of trouble and, and to, to compete with what Liverpool were doing. So, you know, these cycles can turn around pretty quickly. And I think it's probably safe to assume that Chelsea are going to be far more of a handful in amongst the top four than they were last season. Manchester United seem to have improved since they brought over um, Fernandes from, from Portugal. You know, that has, has made a difference to them. Although, again, they, they haven't been hugely active in the transfer market. And, you know, it's possible that you'll see little bits of improvement from Arsenal and, and Tottenham as well. And Manchester City still do have a, a, the sort of squad that if they get on the roll and, and get into form, um, could win the league themselves. Uh, so it, it won't necessarily be as easy for, uh, for Liverpool to turn over the results in the way that they did last season. And they might find that, that actually the league in the, the key area and at the really sharp end is more competitive than it was. But I still think when you go from front to back and, you know, the, the best start in the living that Klopp has and, and Bielsa has, it is asking a lot to go there and, and cause a big upset. All I'm hearing is that they're there for the taking. I think that's what you're saying. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. What constitutes a good result for Leeds from this? A draw would be fantastic. It would be terrific, terrific start. And even they're pretty rare at Anfield. I think if they do lose the game, which you know most people will probably expect that's the way it's going to go, I think any result and any performance that has them in contention and, and has them looking competitive and has them looking like they're not out of shape or, or out of the depth in the Premier League. I think just to get them on a bit of a roll, that, that would be enough because they've got Fulham to come, they've got Sheffield United in the first month. Admittedly, they, they'll play Manchester City as well, but you know, after that, teams like Villa, teams like Palace, team, teams who, to be quite frank, if, if they're going to finish a comfortable mid-table position, which I'm sure they, I think deep down they, they would love to do, and that will probably be the, the kind of aim, you know, anywhere from 12th to, to 14th, 15th. I think if they can get into that ballpark they'd see it as a very very successful season and and a good season on on the way to getting a foothold in the Premier League and, and becoming a, an established team again if they're going to do that and if they're going to aim for for that sort of area then you know it's the games against Fulham and Villa and Palace and, and so on where they're going to have to make it happen there is value to be had in games like Liverpool and Manchester City because nobody expects much of you and anything you take from it is is going to go down as a as a big bonus. Um, but that I don't think is where the season is is, is going to be won and lost or, or where it's it's going to be decided. Um, so you don't want to go with a negative mindset of saying let's get a decent defeat on the board, you know, a respectable defeat on the board. But given that the likelihood is that, that Liverpool will win the game, they'll they'll want to come away with, with their skin intact, their credibility intact and, and feeling like actually they've, they've given it a good go. I know we're loath to put you uh, in a position where you have to make predictions, Phil, but let's do it because, hey, what the hell are we here for? How do you see this one going? I see a home win, but I think it'll be tighter than Norwich's defeat last season. I think something something like 2-1 Liverpool would seem like a fair shout at the weekend. There is, you know, as I say, there is the potential for it to get out of hand just because the the, the players that, that Liverpool have up front. But I do feel, and I think even with White going, there does seem to be a lot of defensive understanding at Leeds. And I don't, you know, particularly if he does play Robin Koch, I don't see that being altered drastically by that change. I think Koch has a lot of the same skill set as, as White. I think he plays in a similar way that he can do a lot of the same things. So you would like to think that that would be quite a natural transition. And I think Leeds also have the, the, the benefit of the confidence of knowing how good they were in the championship and how strong they were. And, you know, it's, it's been such a tight turnaround from last season to this season that I don't think they'll have lost that that spark and, and that bounce. You know, it'll still be there to some some degree. So I'd be optimistic, really. But I think, I think we all know... What 
what what the the likely outcome is. I'd probably take just a decent performance and not a spanking, in truth. But there is always still that little bit of you that thinks catching him cold on the first day, it'd be a, a dream start for us. But I'm not, um, I mean, I'm the most pessimistic person uh, around anyway. But I, oddly enough, I feel less pessimistic about going to Anfield than I used to feel about um, going to Pride Park. Do you think that's because the pressure's off? I think so. I think it's nice to go into this season being allowed to lose some games. Because I think the last two have felt there's been such a huge amount of pressure on every single game, knowing that we there's people breathing down our necks, there's a need to get points pretty much every game at home, a need to take points from probably at least half of your away games that it's weighed on us a bit. And this does feel a little bit calmer, or at least it will until we're in a relegation battle. It's, it's a massive shift, isn't it? From, from what was a, a kind of perennial expectation of getting involved in, in the playoffs or in the, the automatic promotion race. Um, and, and if not an expectation of that happening when Leeds were at the lower ebb, that still the demand that it should be happening, you know, the, the kind of frustration and anger about the fact that they were off the pace. And, it, you know, after 16 years of that, it, it is a huge leap to a scenario where if come March time, Leeds are 13th, 12th, something like that, everybody will be happy and everybody will be quite quite calm about it all. And and Michael's right, you, you're going into a division where you are going to have to accept that Leeds will lose games and, you know, they, they will lose more in the Premier League, you would think, than, than they did generally under Bielsa in the Championship. That just tends to be the, the natural run of things. So it, it does require some realism and, and you have to be sensible about what they're, they're coming up against. I think what I like about Bielsa is that he's highly unlikely to go into this saying to himself, if we finish 12th, I'll be happy with that. I don't think he equates a specific finishing position with a good season or a bad season. I think he'll, he'll judge it on his merit at the end and it'll all come down to how, how well he thinks the tactics have worked, how well he, he thinks his players have followed them and, and how competitive they've they've actually been. So by the same token, I definitely don't think that if you said to him, would you be happy with 17th place, he would even countenance saying yes. I think he would just say to you, it's a kind of hypothetical and, and pointless question. Um, because you you cannot really aim for a specific position. The Phil Hayes Show is brought to you in association with Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Uh, Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And you know, when we get sponsors on the podcast, we have to try our best to make it sound not too scripted. But in this case, I think it's good that we've got an absolutely rock-solid script. But uh, Manscaped has just launched in the UK. Uh, we've gone years without using the right tools for the job. So you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped life-changing products. Has your tester arrived yet, Phil? Uh, no, not yet. Been hanging on, waiting for it. But um, I imagine it's just delayed post due to COVID. That's all it'll be. Because I do feel that the listener deserves updates on your, your grooming routine or the haystack, as it's otherwise known. Well, consider them coming as soon as I get the point where I get to the point where I can, uh, I can deliver a verdict. It will uh, it'll absolutely be there. Picks to follow on Twitter. Absolutely, yeah. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents and the water resistant technology also allows you to groom while in the shower. And we've got a special offer that's on right now for you listening to this show. 20% off and free shipping if you use the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. Well, compare and contrast what we said in part one with what we are about to say here. Marcelo Bielsa in the press conference today as we are recording this, Phil. Yesterday, as it stands um, on the release date. How was he, Marcelo? 
he was very restrained today, actually. I mean, we, we cut to the chase early on about his contract and, and I think it was good for everybody just to confirm that he is staying and in his words, everything's agreed and, and he'll definitely be here for this season. Uh, and I mean, given that it's been, you know, it's been dragging on for a few weeks and everybody knew it would be slow and it, it wouldn't be an overnight agreement, but the clock was ticking to Anfield. We were coming around quickly to that and, and everybody at Ellen Road realised that, you know, from the outside, it wasn't looking brilliant. The fact that, that it still looked like it was up in the air um, on the inside, they didn't seem particularly stressed about it at all or certainly not stressed about the possibility that he might leave or they might end up looking for another manager. But as a whole, he, he didn't have a huge amount to say for himself today. You know, he was quite succinct. And I tend to find this with Bielsa, particularly when you go into big games. And I mean, it, it would be a big fixture regardless of who they were playing this weekend. But it is the defending champions away at Anfield, the ground where opposition teams just generally don't tend to win. And I always find in those circumstances that he, he limits what he says, Bielsa. He doesn't want to say anything outlandish. He doesn't want to speak out of turn. You know, he wanted to be complimentary to Liverpool without going to excess. And there was a funny moment where he was asked what he made of Jurgen Klopp's heavy metal football, to which he said, well, you know, I don't have much cultural insight into music, so I wouldn't know. And that, you know, that kind of summed up how it went all the way through. It was it was brief. He wanted to have his say and, and he wanted to give his thoughts. But I think he gave me the impression that he was, he was very keen just to keep his powder dry and, and get into the game on Saturday and Talk in that manner. I think he would much rather talk on the back of seeing his team play at Liverpool than he would before they go there. And I think he would he would like it a lot if his team's football would speak for itself. Worth adding that Flores wasn't translating for him today. Presumably he's uh, trying to keep the madness at bay so he's not sectioned after, uh, after the ordeal that we had last season. No, there was a, a new translator with Bielsa. And, you know, it, it remains to be seen what happens with Bielsa's backroom staff, whether there are any further changes to it. Um, obviously, Carlos Corbran has gone. He's gone to Huddersfield Town. They need a, a new under-23s coach and, and will appoint one shortly. Um, there's been a bit back and forward about who it's going to be, whether or not it will be one of the assistants round about Bielsa. There are obviously other people in the academy, like Mark Jackson, for example, who took the... The under 23s, although it was basically an under 18s team, but to, he's been under 18s coach. He took the the, the under 23s to um, Accrington in the EFL Trophy on on Tuesday night. That will be done. You know, there, there will need to be an appointment there to to fill that gap. Um, but yeah, you know, a, a new face next to him, but very much the same old Bielsa. And I think on on Saturday when they play, it will be very much the the same old Bielsa team tactics and faces. You relieved, Michael, that we know he's staying. A little bit, yeah. It was always. Likely to happen. The fact he's still here a few days before a season starts, uh, taking training and very obviously being our manager, I think. But it's still nice to have it confirmed and hopefully it just means everyone can can settle down a bit now because it was probably the one thing, well, that and, and stalking some footballers across social media, but it was the, probably the main thing that was keeping people on edge. It's the funny thing about Bielsa, actually, is that it was always going to happen and, you know, the, the club had a contingency plan in place last summer because... They weren't certain whether or not Bielsa would stay to have a second crack at promotion. So they did identify some possible candidates um, like Yukanovic and, and Aitor Karanka because they knew that it was potentially going to be the case that Bielsa would, after the defeat to Derby, would go. You know, we'd, we'd say, look, I've tried, it hasn't worked. You've, you've paid me a lot of money. I've, you know, I've kind of failed in, in what I was trying to do. I'm, I'm going to leave. And Leeds desperately wanted to keep him, but they knew that it wouldn't be done on, on their terms entirely, regardless of the fact that they had an option to keep him. This time around, there was no contingency and there were no you know, there was no thought of a shortlist of other managers. There were no approaches to other managers to, to cover their back. 
it was just a scenario where Bielsa, to all intents and purposes, was, was always staying and was always going to sign. Um, and, and that's what I mean, really. I think on the inside at Ellen Road, obviously it was draining and it was quite, you know, it was a drawn out process actually getting the contract finished. But it wasn't a case of them feeling as if Bielsa's future was in, in the balance. But, uh, you know, they just came to realise that on the outside, that was how it was going to look and that questions were going to be asked because of it. And, and really, it reached the point this week where they, they needed to draw a line and to confirm that, yeah, he would be signing and, and he 100% would be staying. What are the terms of this deal? Do we know anything more about it? Well, they paid a lot of money anyway. I mean, the, the, the deal previously and combined for him and his coaching staff, and it is all accumulated as one entire pot, was around about £6 million in total. They they will get an increase of, of some sort on top of that. But I, I actually think the alterations were not vast and the details he was looking for were not vast. He, he wanted commitments, obviously, that there would be a, an appointment at um, under-23 level. Um, there are other changes to Thorpe Arch that are going to come. He's obviously asked for a lot in the past two years change to the infrastructure up there. Although, again, I think these will be aesthetic as much as anything, and I don't think it will be, you'll see vast building work or, or anything like that. It, it always would be also comes down to dotting the I's, crossing the T's, going through the process of translating to Spanish and back to English. And, you know, his fixation on getting everything absolutely right and, and everything completely nailed down and making sure that he's clear on all his duties and responsibilities. So, you know, what he has to do in terms of media duties and, and everything else and, and just how... The, the whole thing is structured from front to back. So it's a pretty weighty document and there was a there was a lot to it. And it doesn't surprise me that it's taken a while. It was just the fact that it, at this stage, it needed to be done. We speculated a little on how Bielsa might approach Liverpool in terms of putting the new players in and, and so on. And what, what have we learned today then from um, from this press conference? Are we any the wiser as to what his lineup might be? Maybe see a couple of the new boys. Well, I say a couple of them. We've only got two. Well, I did ask him specifically, you know, how do you think these players are going to transition from one division to the next? And how are they going to cope, given that a lot of them haven't played at this level? What do you expect of them? And, you know, he said, I, I don't want to preempt that. You know, I don't want to answer that until I've seen, you know, I, I need to see that in, in the flesh to be absolutely certain. But he did go on to make the point that they've been together for two years. And, you know, this is a group that's been built slowly over that time and, and gradually and has been trained in a very, very direct and specific way. And, you know, in terms of tactics, he said quite clearly, to begin with, we will play as we played in the Championship. You know, we will try to do that and we will try to make that work. So I don't think we'll see vast changes to the formation. I don't think we'll see changes of any great note to the tactics. I think in terms of the lineup, it will be very, very familiar. And it could be that Robin Cock goes in at the back. It could be that um, Rodrigo goes in up front. But I think more than more likely, and, and actually given the way the squad is, there's no alternative to this. It will be pretty much the Championship team. I don't know about you, Michael, but I am fully expecting Bamford to start this one. I'd be astonished if he doesn't. I even I feel like if Rodrigo does start, he, we may see him playing wide or just behind Bamford. But I, he's shown such faith in Bamford to this point that I think he'll definitely start. Do, do you not think it's the, the safe and the sensible option anyway? I mean, given that you, you go into Anfield and, and you want you want people 100% drilled in how you play 100% drilled in, in what you're supposed to do. Rodrigo will be far more off the cuff. And, you know, he, he evidently has flair and, and ability that, that Bamford doesn't um, in some aspects of his game. But I just think in, in a game like this, you, you want everything to be tight and you want tight in terms of understanding. You know, you want everything to be clear 
and you don't want you don't want things to be too off the cuff. And and I think it would be the sensible way to go with Bamford. I think to have him up front, it gives Leeds a focal point that they know of what was before and and who knows them as well, who knows the team behind him and, and knows where to be. I, I'm with Michael really. I'd, I'd be very very surprised if Bamford isn't on the pitch from the start on Saturday. I think as much as we criticised him last season as well for missing some chances, I think he's earned his shot at it as well. I think if in five games' time we've, we're finding he's still missing a load of chances, then maybe we change our opinion on it. But I, I'm happy to see him giving a go to start with. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, but to flip the question on its head there that you've posed, Phil, where does that leave Robin Cock? Because we speculate on the idea that he might go straight in at the back there. And is that going to be viewed differently to putting Rodrigo in up front? I think the slight difference is that you can construct a team and a very familiar team without putting Rodrigo into it from the start and without throwing him in cold. Because Ben White is gone, there is evidently a gap at the back. And yes, Luke Ayling can move across and can play there and and Dallas can slot in at right back quite comfortably. And then you've got the choice of Alioski and and Dallas on the left-hand side. So it's not as if that couldn't be reshuffled and rebuilt with existing players. But if... Cocky's up to speed, which I suspect he, he pretty much will be in a physical sense. They said he came in looking in, in really terrific shape. And, you know, we touched on this before, but, he, he, you know, he has the benefit of having played for Freiburg in the Bundesliga very recently. And, the, you know, German clubs have been very active in, in training and preparing for games and, and finishing off the season. Uh, so you would like to think that his, you know, his conditioning will be good and, and that it might give him a chance of playing. I think it would be very like Bielsa to play Ailing there. You know, it, it would not be unlike him at all to, to go down that route again because of Ailing's knowledge of the tactics and the, the methodology. Um, but I think if you were gonna if you're gonna take a chance on one of Cock or, or Rodrigo this weekend, and you know it sounds ridiculous saying take a chance because you're talking about two proper full-blown internationals. Um but I think it's probably easier to play a centre back in a position where you need somebody, you need somebody, you know, a, a, in a position where there is a gap because Ben White is gone. And, and you know, we asked Bielsa specifically about the challenge of replacing White, and he said, "Look, I don't think that the right side of defence is a, is a complex position." You know, he said, "I don't think it's a position where if you if you play in that role and you understand that role, you need to ma- adapt or learn massively." And I wondered if that was a little hint that actually Cop could be used this weekend. You know, it might be that. That that's a that's a little bit of a gamble that he's willing to take. And again, to me, it, it would feel like the sensible decision. In relation to Bielsa, worth mentioning the brand new podcast from The Athletic, headline, Breaking Football News. Uh, if you can't wait for us each week to get an update from Phil, keep an eye out for that. Bite-sized chunks of football news. And Phil did the very first mini episode on there about Bielsa staying at Leeds as soon as the news broke. So look out for it. Yeah, again, it's called Headline Breaking Football News and you can find it wherever you found this. It was interesting to see Bielsa a little bit non-committal on transfers today. The line, and I'm paraphrasing it a little bit, was we will have news when we have it about any more incomings. And the one that will not go away, Rodrigo de Paul, uh, the latest update on that one, his social media activity raised an eyebrow or two in the last couple of days, because he liked a couple of tweets uh, from fans saying, are you coming to Leeds and get yourself to Leeds, which when this kind of took on a life of its own on Twitter, were quickly unliked when somebody must have had a word in his ear and said, will you pack it in? But he's also been liking Leeds related stuff on Instagram as well. So what's going on then, Phil? Do you, do you think he's up for it? He certainly seems like he's up for it. 
they must have been seeing the square ball account, I think, last night. That'll have got him into into all sorts of bother. He is keen. I mean, there, there isn't any doubt about that. And, and Leeds, from their part, are, are very keen as well. But it's quite interesting because they haven't really moved hard to, to get anything else done since Rodrigo and Cock were done over that same weekend when, when £40 million went out. And it's not because they're not intending to sign anybody else and it's not because they're out of money and it's not because... Um, they're, they're being sort of lax about it. It just felt as if having got those deals over the line and having got two of the really priority positions, you know, sorted out, centre back and a and a centre forward, they felt like they were able to just relax for a bit, and and they they felt like they were able to take stock to see where they are. And you know, any other transfers and any other signings are going to depend heavily, very heavily, on on what Bielsa feels that he needs and you know he can be quite unconventional in the way that that he sees things and he can certainly be quite unconventional in in the way that that he he views the depth of his squad you know his squads tend to be so much thinner than everybody else's and you could quite easily get to a point with Bielsa where he does feel like he's got what he what he needs he doesn't feel like he needs surplus players round and about I mean it would be hard to describe DePaul as a surplus player he, he looks like potentially a, a terrific signing but the other aspect of this is that he won't be cheap you know and, and Leeds could do it financially they do have the cash to do it same with the, the Croatian defender Gradiol but you know talking in the region of 20 million euros for him it's it's a lot to invest in in what would for the time being be a you know, a, a third choice centre back, and okay, somebody who can cover on on the left side of defence. But at twenty million pounds for a newly promoted club, you 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 generally be talking about somebody who's going to be very heavily involved. I mean, Bielsa never says much about transfers until um, they reach the point where they're done. I think you know a lot of coaches are like that, but him more than most, he, he gives it very very short shrift. And I think he nipped that one in the bud straight away today by just saying, "Look, when we have any news and we have any others, we'll be sure to tell you." And that was a kind of case of. You, know, you might as well not go around the houses with this because I'm not going to get drawn into discussing what we need or or what we want. And again, you know, because he is so specific about the player as opposed to the position, he would like a ten, he would like a winger, he, he would like a centre back, but he wants the, he wants the players. He doesn't want the positions. So if a winger comes in, it needs to be a winger that suits how he plays. If a ten comes in, it has to be the same. Likewise with a centre back, it's got to be a centre back who can play out. Um, and and who can you know he can bring the ball forward and distribute it and position himself in the way that that Cooper and and Ben White do so um or oh, Ben White did when when he was here so they're not finished and and I fully expect other things to happen but it has felt like there's been a bit of a lull um over the past two weeks and it feels to me like it's been quite deliberate I think they've they've decided just to take a bit of time and and to take stock and I have to say that the sort of liking of social media posts is is the best example of modern football ever when I you know when I first started doing this job. There was nothing in the way of Twitter or, or Facebook or, or anything. Um, so you never got any nods or, or winks um, via those those outlets. Whereas these days, you know, it's, it's the sort of thing people look for. It's strange, isn't it, as fans for us to think, well, if the player wants to come and he's interested and the club are interested in him, then why not just get it done and allow them to figure out what it is when it comes to a fee? But I guess with another three and a bit weeks to go until the transfer deadline, there is time to let this one simmer. And one thing we never seem to give football clubs is time as fans we always want things done yesterday don't we so it'll be interesting to see this one um, develop I mean what, what's your hunch on it Phil do you think this will get done I'm, I'm very much 50-50 on it which I know isn't a great help to anybody I think if Leeds decide to go for it my gut you know to go for it properly my gut feeling is that yes it will I think he he seems to be keen from what we're hearing he, you know he would be very very open to it. But that obviously brings into question Udinese's, Udinese's valuation, um, what they, they would expect. And 
whether or not it would be prudent for Leeds to, to pay the amount that they're, they're going to have to, it's, it, it's quite easy when you start to get sort of taken in by the transfer market to feel that a good player is a good player and therefore you pay what it takes to, to get him. But everybody does have a value. And I think that was true of Ben White as much as anybody. You know, it, Brighton weren't selling. I mean, that seemed to be the bottom line. They, they just weren't, weren't going to budge. But even so, there would definitely have been a ceiling when it came to the offers Leeds were willing to submit. They, they just weren't going to go higher and higher and higher to, to an endless degree because, you know, he's never played in the Premier League before. He looks like a, a huge prospect. But at the same time, you can't overspend on these players or you can't overspend dramatically because that, that is how it goes wrong and, and that's where you end up losing money badly and where you end up with a, a player that's worth nothing like what you paid. And I think the same is true of DePaul. I, I certainly see how he fits and I can see the, the sort of magic he would bring. But, you know, the, the price would 100% have to be right for him. With the season getting underway before the transfer window shuts, do you think there's potentially a little bit of the club maybe testing the water and seeing how we get on in those early games to see if we maybe need any additional backup? I think there's an element of that. And again, that'll be left to Bielsa to decide, you know, and, and for him to gauge. I, I think the other thing that Leeds know or the other thing Leeds suspect is that as they get further into the window and as they get towards the, you know, the deadline I mean, the first week of October, it's likely that loan options are going to open up. You know, it's likely that players that they would be very keen on but perhaps don't want to pay um, the asking price for or, or would be keen on but parent clubs don't don't want them to leave permanently. Uh, the, there might be an, an opening and an opportunity there. I, I, I know when I spoke to Victor Otter, um, I did a, an interview with him after Bielsa won the, the latest Manager of the Month award at the back end of last season um, and he was saying, you know, that there aren't many loan options out there at the moment. You know, clubs... It's starting to get going now, it definitely is, but you know, clubs want really spending, clubs want making players available on, on temporary basis, even though it seemed like that was the way the market would go. And it's not a coincidence that Leeds have kept a, a loan slot open. They can do two from the Premier League this season, two domestic. They've obviously got one already, I mean, Jack Harrison from Manchester City, and, and they will look, I think, for another one before the, the window is closed. And it just leaves that little bit of scope where if a player, for example... Harry Wilson at Liverpool, who, who is always on the list with Otter, is a name to pluck out there. Dan James at, at Manchester United. If if there was to be a, a scenario whereby he was made available for loan, then it's not you know it's common knowledge, no secret at all, that Leeds were very very keen on him in Bielsa's first season, and were right on the verge of of getting that one done. Um, so that is one way in which the market could change. Yeah, that's one reason to to kind of keep your your options open. And I think more than that, if if the squad is in good shape, if the team's in good shape, if they settle in well into the, the Premier League and if they're comfortable under Bielsa, don't rush. You know, take your time if you've got time. Um, get it right, do it right, make sure the sums add up, um, make sure that you get exactly what it is that, that you're after. And Ryan Kent is probably a, a good player to look at. They went in for him with an initial bid, it was turned down, it was too low and they haven't been back for him. And I think that probably is an example of somebody where they're thinking, do you know what, there might be alternatives that, that are better than him. You mentioned uh, Gvardiol there. Another name that's popped up over the last few days is Jordan Lukaku, left back at Lazio, um, Belgian international, about €5 million. Euro. Another Lazio player, is this just not nonsense that's getting drummed up by an agent or a club trying to get interest in their player? They've been linked with a lot of people at Lazio without without much credence, really. And, and the left-back position is interesting because I, you know... I, Somebody spoke to me about Joe Bryan before the window opened down at Fulham and, and I'd said, you know, it, he, he's kind of someone that they they have in their sight, someone who would always be on a, a list if they were looking for another left-back. And there was just the suggestion that they might have a go in that position. 
but there's really been no movement on that front yet. And and at the moment, it's still you know your your choice of Alioski and Douglas and, and Dallas there as well. And you know the the vibes I'm getting are, are that Bales is pretty happy with that group. You know, I, I don't I think from here forward, if Leeds are going to establish themselves, they always have to be open to the 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 thought that if you can strengthen or improve in positions and and it's sensible to do so, then you have to do it. You know, you you've got to be a little bit ruthless and and you've got to you've got to think of the club um, above individuals. Uh, but it doesn't seem as if he, he he's seeing particular weakness there. And, and as I say, they don't seem to have got busy there um, at, at left-back at all, Leeds so far. So that's not to say that that might not change late on and, and that there may be a, a, a sort of alteration in how they're thinking right at the death when the, the deadline's about to pass. But it hasn't looked that way so far. We need to talk about the wonderfully named Crescencio Somerville, the young lad from Feyenoord, the winger, who looks lightning quick, signing uh, reportedly for around... A million quid. I mean, if he doesn't end up with the nickname Jimmy, um, look it up, kids, then what is the point? Yeah, do look it up, kids. You'll, you'll probably need to. But um, no, absolutely. I mean, that big, big open goal there. Um, yeah, very, very keen on him and, and in the process of, of getting that one done um, and, and hopefully over the line. And it's just an extension of what's been going on with the academy all summer. You know, little little clever and, and what looked like very interesting additions here and there. This is Dutch youth international, you know, skillful player by all accounts, not somebody I can pretend to know much about, but, you know, again, just raw talent and, and someone who, if he starts to fulfil anything like his potential, is, is going to be worth a lot more money than, than Leeds are proposing to, to pay for him. Um, and like you say, anyone who can come in from Holland with the nickname Jimmy is, is fine by me. Michael, Calvin got his first cap for England a couple of nights ago. What do you reckon? I mean, we'll do an update on this on the Square Ball podcast next week where we'll probably swear a little bit more, but uh, what do you think of it? Initial thoughts? As the game of Calvin, I thought Calvin was as good as anyone on the pitch. I thought the game as a whole and the individual performances of pretty much everyone was dismal. So boring. I, I couldn't honestly tell what Southgate was doing. He seemed to line us up as if we were playing the greatest team in the world with a seemingly endless stream of holding midfielders on the pitch and Eric Dyer at the back playing in defence for some reason on the wrong side. It just not, none of it worked whatsoever. The, him and um, Declan Rice seem to be stood in each other's space the whole time. And how we managed to turn a, a team with a front three of Sterling, Sancho and Kane into such a horrendously dull uh, performance, I've, I've absolutely got no idea. I think the thing with Southgate is we had that nice summer with him where we got to the World Cup semi-final and everything. And it felt like there was a bit of a feel-good factor back. But watching it the other night, I did think maybe he's not actually very good after all of this. Maybe this is... We're getting Middlesbrough, Gareth Southgate now, and the World Cup semi-final was a bit of a fluke. There just seem to be the, the constant limited, sort of tactical limitations there that make you think that for as long as Sancho or Kane or, or somebody else is is there to dig them out when they need it, it'll carry on and, and it'll be okay. But that always feels like the, the barrier between Leeds, yeah, between England going on to do you know something something spectacular or, or something very special. I mean, I was the same watching the game. The, the system didn't seem designed for anybody on the pitch, let alone Phillips. I thought Phillips did fine. You know, I thought he had a, a steady and, and competent debut in a game where it was hard to be anything better than steady and competent. And I mean, I saw quotes from Southgate afterwards where he said, we're trying a new system and, and we'll get better at it. And I just thought, I don't understand why. You know, why try a new system when England really do tend to know how it is that they play? And, and why try a new system in which 
you're not playing out and out defensive midfielders as out and out defensive midfielders. It didn't make any sense to me. It was still overloaded the team defensively. I mean, Phillips won't care about that. He'll, he'll be happy to have, be happy to have done fine, and he'll be happy to have debut um, on his record and to feel like he's he's into the the swing of it. And I would like to think that nothing that happened on Tuesday would count against him because I do think over two years he's earned his earned his place in the squad. I've, I've seen all the national teeth about the fact that he plays in the championship, but I think you have to look at how he plays and you have to look at what else is available in his position. I I know international managers need to think differently and I know they, they can't tailor the, the team for everybody. You know, they can't tailor the team for 11 separate players in the way they play at their clubs. But I do not see the logic of somebody like Phillips, who is probably the most pronounced position of anybody in that England team, I can't understand the logic of taking him and trying to fit him into that sort of system on on Tuesday. It just didn't seem to make sense. Now, Phil, I know you're a Hearts fan, but you still use the word we in relation to to Leeds United. Is there any chance of you doing that with England as a proud Scotsman? No, I don't see that happening. Although, do you know, I'm I'm at least 50% English uh, and I have an English wife and English kids, so I do have to behave myself. And um, Do you hate them all? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I just don't tell them that. But given what Scotland serve up these days, I, I could see myself defecting quite soon, to be quite honest. I've been down here for longer than I ever lived in Scotland, so I think I'm, I'm entitled to swing both ways. I did tune in for Liam Cooper, actually, the other day, and Scotland were clinging on to that game. I don't really know how they won it from the... I, I think I only tuned in for the second half, but it was um, it was backs-to-the-wall stuff. Yeah, I mean, Cooper, I was interested watching him last season when he, he got into the Scotland team because... He's gone from in in that you know that switch of team. He's gone from a side at Leeds with Bielsa, who man marked religiously and have this you know this distinct style, to a team of Scotland who are completely different and play in, in the opposite way. And it does make you think it must be so hard to you know to switch from one to the other and to understand it properly. Is it doesn't feel like a good time to be going into the Scotland setup. I think that's the the difficulty up there. Whereas with England, despite how it was on Tuesday and, and despite you know the, the sort of criticism and, and the groaning around Southgate you know that is a is a good squad to step into there are a lot of established players there a lot of really really talented players there and and you know I don't think Phillips will have felt like a fish out of water at all I think he'll have been quite comfortable in the environment Presumably the last good time to step into the Scotland squad would have been sometime in the 90s Sometime in the 1970s something like that yeah <laughs> Harry sponsors the Phil Hay Show, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. And I'm sure you agree that razors are massively overpriced these days. Uh, Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary fellas who thought the same. They were just sick and tired of paying too much. And right now you can get their sharpest ever blades, which have just been released. And they've added a lubricating strip there as well for an even closer, more comfortable shave. And the best part is they haven't raised their prices in response to that. So replacement blades are still as little as 175 each which means their top quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five blade brand. Harry's trial set is just $3.95 and includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover. And you can get yours by going to harrys.com forward slash Phil Hay right now. harrys.com forward slash Phil Hay. On to the Phil Hay Q&A right now. And we received a mountain of questions for this. So thank you. And sorry if your question doesn't feature this week. We'll try and get more on in the coming weeks. And if you want to get involved in this, we just ask that you leave us a voice memo in WhatsApp so you can ask Phil your question directly rather than just having me read it out. There are two ways to get to the same destination. Um, if you have a head for numbers, you can use the number. It's a UK number, 07899 555 If you're not so good with numbers, 
you can put the following address into your phone's web browser and it'll redirect you into the app and fill out the number and everything else. The squareball.net forward slash WhatsApp. The squareball.net forward slash WhatsApp. Let's get into it then. First question. Hi guys, we've talked a lot about incomings. What about outgoings such as Tyler Roberts, Adam Forshaw, Barry Douglas? And also, in your opinion, Phil, who's a better striker, Rodrigo or Ollie Watkins? Um, we'll start with, with the first bit. I don't expect significant outgoings at this stage. And, you know, it was clearly not going to be a clear out at the start of the summer. And the number of players who are coming in are not really creating much scope for players to go, or certainly not, not senior players. Um, right at the start of the window, um, I had talk at, at Leeds about Joe Bryan down at Fulham, but that really hasn't progressed. And it does feel as if um, Bielsa is, is happy with the left back options that he has at the moment, including Douglas. Although, you know, there does seem to be interest from Celtic up north. So I, I guess as the window goes on, these are, are deals to keep an eye on. In terms of actual outgoings, it's most likely to be under 23s on loan. For example, there are offers on the table for Bogut's um, and also Robbie Gotts and, and Alfie. McCalmont, um, it's not much of a secret that Huddersfield and Carlos Cobram would be very keen to take Robbie Gotts over there. But again, that will come down to how Bielsa feels about the strength of his squad, how he, he feels about the individual 23s and where they feature in his plans. And he did seem to ease a little bit on the idea of keeping all the 23s under under him at Thorpe Arch because he's never been inclined to send them out on loan. And, and there has been a little bit of a softening there. But the, the bottom line is that he won't want to lose Gotts, he won't want to lose Bogut's or, or others if he feels like they have a part to play or, or if he feels like he needs them e- even in a training scenario when the first team are, are working up there. Um, so those are the ones to look out for. Um, I think in terms of Watkins and Rodrigo, I mean, Rodrigo is Spain's number nine. He's he's almost 30. He's played in the Champions League. He's played in, in the Europa League. So I think at, at this point, you would have to say that Leeds are signing a, a far more oven-ready player um, than Aston Villa are. I think Watkins has huge potential and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be disparaging about him at all. I, I always liked him in the Championship and, it, you know, again, it was fairly common knowledge that Leeds were very keen on him and I, I think if it hadn't been Rodrigo, then they would have made inroads into the Watkins deal and would have tried hard to make that one happen. But without a doubt, they'll be very happy at Leeds that for the £27 million they spent and for £1 million less than Ollie Watkins, they've got the man who, who plays up front for Spain. And the thing is there, you use the phrase of ready, which is a, a very good phrase to be bandying around at the minute in the current political climate. But you can't help but feel that having Rodrigo in, who is already playing at elite level, represents a really good deal for Leeds. And Watkins may take a little bit of time to adjust to the Premier League. And I guess Villa are paying more for potential there. I think you, you can look at Watkins straight rate and it certainly is certainly is at a much higher end than, than Rodrigo's, but clearly this has come predominantly and certainly recently in, in the Championship as, a, as opposed to La Liga or um, the Champions League or the Europa League. Uh, Watkins has a lot of time on his side, but it would be presumptuous to to think that even the you know the seven years in between him and, and Rodrigo, that that would take him up to the level of, of international football. It's possible. And, and as I say, you know, that there is a lot to like about him, but I think... Rodrigo is more adaptable. Um, he's, he's certainly more experienced, and and I don't think anybody at Leeds is disappointed at all that that for twenty seven million pounds they've they've managed to land him. Particularly because if you go back six months, twelve months, the you know the fees being spoken about when Barcelona were in for him and, and Atletico Madrid were in for him were considerably higher than than the number that Leeds have, have paid in the end. So I think actually Villa and Leeds have both done well on this front. I think they can both be be happy with the business. On to the next one. All right, chaps, it's Tommy, a uh, long time, first time. I was just wondering whether Phil had any insight as to what Andrea, not Radrazani, 
Andrea, the former furniture salesman, who I believe impressed Mrs. Cellino. I'm wondering what he's up to these days and if you've ever spoken to him at any length, because I understand he's still at the club and he, he really fascinates me as I have continually pestered you on Twitter about him. Cheers, lads. He did become something of a joke figure, didn't he, Phil? So where are we now with Andrea? He did. It's an Andrea Laurie, French analyst now, French part of the, the recruitment department at Leeds these days. People will remember him as person, young lad who, who came over after Chilino bought the club, um, and and you know as as his reputation had it had been selling furniture in Miami um, and had, had got himself ingrained with the, the Chilinos and and come to Leeds. He was a, a kind of strange figure and and someone who seemed to quite sort of capture the weirdness of. Of much of the Chilino era. Um, but it has to be said that for the past two or three years, a little longer than that, he has worked very hard to become part of the recruitment department at Leeds. And he is in there. I think he does a lot of scouting at, at youth level, but he's very much a, an integral part of the team. I, I saw him briefly just before the last game of the season against Charlton. And, you know, he, he seems to, he seems to be very well respected, I think, has, has worked hard to to turn himself from someone who was who's kind of seen as, as a bit of a Chilino hanger on to somebody who is actually you know quite valuable and whose input is is kind of respected and and seen as as very useful at least. So yeah, no, he's he's very much in the building and, and very much at the, at the center of the team that the author has built. What do you think that says about the role of analyst? Does it need specialist football knowledge or is it a different skill set? No, I don't think it does. I think you need to know how to spot a player. You need to, these days, understand data, um, the ins and outs of data, and to understand properly what it means and, and what it represents. There, there are a huge number of stats and a huge amount of analysis that you can apply to clubs and to individual footballers, but you need to be able to pick that apart. And the talent for an analyst is to be told, look, we need somebody who is similar to Ben White. Who in the system and who have you? who amongst the players you've scouted? fits the bill and in that scenario a head coach will want you to come back and say well we've been watching Robin Cock at, at Freiburg for months and months and um, we know a huge amount about him this is what he does these are his strengths these are his weaknesses this is how he would fit in and, and it basically means that when a deal goes you know it goes sour as it did for White which you know it felt like a, a non-starter with Brighton in the end you have that immediate fallback for a Germany international that Bielsa is happy with the club are happy with the transfer fee works because it's affordable so, yeah, I mean, th- there will be people out there still who think that it helps to have proper football knowledge, but it, you only have to read a little bit about the way that clubs' recruitment departments and analytical departments are changing to realise that more and more of the people who are effective in them and more and more of the people who run them and, and kind of dictate the, the strategy don't actually have strict football in backgrounds. A lot of them have worked in mathematics, some of them have worked in, in scientific areas, and clubs more and more have opened themselves up to data people. You know, they see the value of it and they see the way in which it, it can work for them. Um, so no, it's it's not essential at all. You need to know what you're doing, but that doesn't mean you need to have played the game. So essential reading and viewing on that one is Moneyball, because that will give you an insight into what that sort of world is uh, is very much like. On to this next one then. Hi, Phil. Hi, lads. Uh, it's James here. I'm just wondering, what's the latest on Adam Forshaw? Is he going to be ready to start the season or will he be in play a few months down the line. Surely him coming in will feel like a bit of a, a, an added signing. Also, just wondering, there's been a lot of talk about McKinstry. Is he going to have any involvement in the first team or is it always a bit, a bit of a step too far at this stage? Thanks. One of the things that came out of the Bielsa press conference today was indeed that Forshaw isn't ready yet. Still still a way off, is he, Phil? I don't know about a way off. I think he's actually very close to finishing the, the 
training rehab program that was set for him to get back to full fitness. He isn't going to be ready for Anfield, but I, the the sense I get is that he shouldn't. If all things are, are fine, he shouldn't be too far away. But I think what you have to remember with Forshaw is that he's played next to no football um, in the past year. It's been a long, long time since he picked up that that groin problem um, after after the Charlton game, and and you know it had been niggling at him a little bit before then, and. You know, he, he went through the process of trying to get fit without surgery and then obviously had to, to give in to surgery eventually. And and they knew that this was likely to be the time frame. There was no chance at all of him playing in the last nine games of last season, even despite the COVID break. Uh, and this pre-season was going to be used to bring him up to speed. I, I suspect in his head, he might well have been hoping that he would be ready for Liverpool and, and he would be in the mix. But on the basis that he didn't feature in, in either of the friendlies that were publicised, you, you kind of knew that he was a little way off and he still had, had some way to go. So when he'll be back, I don't know exactly, but I don't get the impression that there's any problem there. I just think it's the it's the time frame required for him to get fully fit. And on to McKinstry then, uh, your thoughts on McKinstry, which we did speak about actually, was it last week? Yeah, McKinstry falls into the group of under-23s who are right in that sweet spot where they've got a chance under Bielsa and you know he, he looks at them constantly and he, he picks out the best of them and he pushes forward the best of them and McKinstry I, I say this regularly but he you know he's always mentioned positively when you ask about the academy and there are others up there too I mean it seems to be have been some really good progress from Charlie Creswell centre-back through the summer and I think these guys will will all very much be beyond the fringes it, it was I think it, it told the story with the um, the EFL Trophy game earlier in the week and the young team that Leeds played, you know, they they wanted the 23s to be fit and available for a, uh, an 11v11 game on um, on Wednesday and they didn't want to risk breaking the COVID bubble in case they needed some of those players to, to feature at Anfield or just to stay closely involved with the first team squad. And you know how heavily Bielsa uses 23s, so it all comes down really to how McKinstry performs. But I think... As, as has been shown over the past two seasons, everybody who's in that group and everybody who who's in that sort of, you know, that, that middling period between what is out and out the academy and, you know, out and out first team players, everybody who's in that, that group has the potential to get pushed on quite quickly. And from the youngsters to our most senior player now. Hello, Philip. Um, what sort of role do you expect Pablo Hernandez to play this year in the coming season due to the fact that he's reaching an age where his legs may not be working to the extent they were last year. And do you think the Leeds are still relying on him too much going into the season? Thanks. Hey, you got your Sunday name there, Phil. I did get my Sunday name. Yeah, that that was very, very kind. Um, this, this, I think, will be one of the most interesting aspects of this season coming up. What are they going to do with Hernandez and how heavily are they, they going to use him? You're inclined to think that now 35, you know, it, it's asking a lot to wade through an entire Premier League season, although... I think on the back of two seasons in the championship, the, the intensity, certainly in terms of the fixture list, drops quite significantly um, in, in the top division. And we've run some articles on The Athletic this week, you know, about the fact that this is going to be a tough season because it's congested and because it is um, shorter. But Leeds have a, an advantage in that sense that they're already used to, you know, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday games, which they just won't have to deal with this time round. I think Bielsa will intend to use Hernandez a decent amount in this season. I don't think... He will, he will even with Rodrigo in the squad. I don't think you'll see anybody else who has quite the same level of vision and creativity as Hernandez. Hernandez has always been pretty unique in this lead squad, and and even for a side who were top of the division, I can't think of anyone who's had a better sort of seven eight game spell in all the time I've covered the club than Hernandez did in during the running. It just felt as if everything he was doing and everything he was touching and everything he was trying was 
was coming off. And because of that, he can still be a very big influence in the Premier League, I think. It's just that it's all going to come down to managing him. And also, it's going to come down to finding the best blend of the team. You know, is Rodrigo better at 10 alongside Hernandez on the right? Um, is Rodrigo better up front with Hernandez in a central position? What's going to work best and, and what's going to be most fluid and, and successful? But I think um, my feeling with Pablo is that whenever you get into the discussion about his, his fitness or his body or whatever else, which I have to say is absolutely outstanding for his age, you, you inevitably come back to the thought of, well, how do you leave him out? Because if you do leave him out, and I know he didn't play every game last season or close to it, but if you do leave him out, you do take away that little bit of brilliance um, that they are absolutely going to need from time to time. When you use the phrase now 35, then I immediately started thinking of my music collection from being a teenager. He might have owned it, you never know, although I can't make that joke about him given that I'm 40 in about a month's time. Right, let's move on to the last question. We'll we'll deal with these two as a pair because they're on a similar theme. At the uh, press conferences, are you restricted as to what questions you can ask? Hi, Phil. You're obviously very close to the club and know more than most. Is there ever a time when... You know something, but the club get in contact and ask you not to reveal it. For example, Leeds are very close to signing a new player and you announcing interest could jeopardise the deal or alert other clubs, etc. Or, is there ever a time when you deliberately keep something quiet for a while without the club asking you to do it because you now have affinity towards Leeds and you don't want to jeopardise anything yourself? Thanks. What do you know, Mr Hay? What secrets do you have? Well, shall we start with question one? There's a sort of protocol in, in press conferences whereby journalists go there expecting to ask what they like and certainly certainly planning to ask what they, they want to ask. And I think without the questions being ridiculous, it's your job and, and it's got to be done. You do have scenarios in press conferences where clubs will say to you, you know, we're not going to answer any questions about this. And it tends to relate most to really controversial matters. So, for example, you, you might have had, I, I, off the top of my head, I, I can't remember this happening specifically, but there might have been occasions last season where the club would have said, Bielsa can't talk about Spygate because it's at this stage, or he, he's not going to talk about Spygate because he's spoken about it um, already. And you remember seeing a similar thing at Spurs when Pochettino was being asked about the, the Man United job and, and the press officer down there saying in one press conference, look, can we not have every press conference from now until the end of the season dominated by Manchester United questions? So that that does happen. And, you know, likewise as well, you know, things like Casilla, for example, and, and the racism charge, there are things where the club will say to you, these are questions for chief executive or the owner or, you know, the, the club hierarchy as opposed to Bielsa. But having said that, you know, it, it's not to say that when they tell you that, that you necessarily stick to it and, and you necessarily think that you should. Um, but that is, from time to time, the way it goes. In terms of what you know and, and what you find out, it, it generally tends to depend on where you find it out from and, and who tells you. So, for example, the, there are people who will tell you things but will ask you not to print it. They're, they're putting you in the picture but will often say, just hold this for now, you know, don't release this at, at this stage. And, you know, in those circumstances, you, you have no choice. You have to respect that request. You have to respect that um, relationship. When you pick it up from elsewhere and when you have a story to run, there is very little reason generally for you not to to print something. And and I've never really held with the idea that if you run a story on a club being interested in a player, it's likely to scupper it. I mean, agents are are so busy these days. um, Recruitment departments are so alive to what's out there that it it would seem remarkable to me if a a very good player who is on the market, if if other clubs and, and other managers and recruitment teams were oblivious about them, until a story ran on The Athletic or previously, you know, when when I worked for the Evening Post until a story um, ran then. You do have sensitive 
things that, that you come up with and you do have some stories that need to be checked out a lot more than others, which which can delay things until you speak to the right people. But generally, the, the information is is there to be printed and, and that is the business. I guess it's about striking that balance, isn't it? Maintaining the relationship with the club, but them also understanding that you, you have a job to do and your job is to report the news. Yeah, so I mean, it, it isn't often that you come to blows over that, but there are always going to be occasions where you write things they don't want you to write, or you print stories that they, they would rather you you didn't. And you know that's been the game since the, the first day that I got into it, and I think it will be the same in in twenty or or thirty years. I think you pay them the courtesy of checking stories and, and running things by them to make sure that they're accurate. You'd kind of expect in the same way, and this applies, you know, right across the board at, at every club. You expect if if you do that to be to be shown the courtesy of, of being told yes or no, truthfully, you know, and 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 to to go from there. But yeah, I mean, you you do want a relationship, and you do have to maintain one. It's just it has to be professional, and there has to always be that caveat that if if you want to write something and you want to print something and you decide you're going to, then that's entirely your right, and and that's what's going to happen. I think for us, um, we've had a sort of an insight on this as as the square ball getting involved with you doing this podcast, and obviously we you know we learn things and we pick up on stories through speaking to you and putting this together. And as fans, I think it's been quite educational for us seeing how it's not always productive just to go out there and chuck a story out into the public domain because sometimes it can serve a negative purpose if you start, let's say, for example, putting stories about Rodrigo de Paul everywhere. It's just going to fuel the fire. And if the, the deal's not done, for example, then it's not helpful, is it? It just creates a lot of noise online um, amongst fans that creates flack for the club. Well, to give you an example, I mean, this week, Bielsa obviously announced today at his press conference that he would be staying and that everything was great and, and everything else. I mean, I'd, I'd been anticipating an announcement like that from the club since kind of Tuesday afternoon. And, and you know, there was a lot of discussion with him over the past 48, 72 hours to say, look, we do need to get this done, regardless of whether you mind or regardless of whether it really matters to you. You know, from the outside, it it, it looks it doesn't look great that the head coach isn't taking a contract. And it kind of raises questions or, or suggests problems that, that actually aren't there. Um, so, you know, on, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, you're sitting thinking, well, you know, you, you could run a um, Bielsa set to sign, Bielsa close to sign, which as it turns out would, would have been absolutely right. But the problem is that we've all been saying for three or four weeks, you know, it's all agreed or it's essentially agreed, you know, the, the basic the basic strands of it are, are fine and, and it's all broadly in place. Um, and then week follows week and it doesn't happen. And, and after a while, nobody wants to read, look, Bielsa's close to signing, he's on the verge of, of agreeing it. You do get to the stage where they want to know, has he actually signed and, and is he is he staying? And, you know, it, it really did take Bielsa at the press conference today to say, yeah, I'll be here next season and it's definite and, and everything's in place for you to finally get to the point where it's not a question of, yeah, he's going to sign. It's a question of, yes, no, he is staying. Let's wrap things up now then. And every week we ask Phil to gaze into his legendary crystal ball and predict the future during the season. Uh, one to watch for the clash at Anfield this weekend, please, Philip. I'm going to go for Robin Cock. Um, I would like to go for Rodrigo as uh, record signing at Leeds, £27 million striker, but it's difficult to know what part he's going to play in and how involved he's going to be. I mean, it's the same with Cock, but if Cock starts... We're going to get a great look at his ability and, and what he's made of against Salah, Firmino, Mane, the Liverpool front three or, or whoever Klopp decides to play. And I think in, in terms of a, a first examination for a player who could potentially be very good value at £30 million, that, um, that'll that be great to see. Overall then, looking forward to it, Phil? 
Absolutely. Cannot wait. I mean, it, it's it's just got everything to it. And every time I think about it, I think back through what we've been watching for 14, 15, 16 years. And I think, yeah, this is why you, you stuck with it. What about you, Michael? Terrified, but looking forward to it. It's If you can't be looking forward to a, an opening game at Anfield, then what have the last 16 years been for? Absolutely. And right now you can try out The Athletic for just a quid a month. Enjoy all Phil's writing on Leeds and the reaction from Anfield and that piece on Bielsa's new contract. Head to theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod to sign up. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. We'll see you next time. The Phil Hay Show.